0: This time Lawrence Gregory will bring the sermon, Jesus and the Brass Serpent. Good afternoon, the Bible has a lot to say about the Israel exodus from Egypt. There are four books in the Bible devoted to that. Trek, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, plus references in some of the Psalms, minor prophets, major prophets, other Old Testament New Testament scriptures with many types, representations, and lessons. Now, we're in the midst of the seven days of unleavened bread, which has so much uh, relationship to the time of the exodus. We've been studying that, and from year to year, we act out and live out the seven days of unleavened bread and look at those many lessons in the scriptures, many, many different lessons that help us to learn more of God's plan and purpose. Now, the wilderness journeys from Israel to Egypt, the promised land from Egypt rather to the promised land, took them 40 years. Our message today is concerning an event that occurred in the 39th year of the Exodus and referenced by Jesus, analogous to himself and to us. That is the occurrence relating to the brass serpent mentioned in John the third chapter and Numbers the 21st chapter. First, Let's go to John 3, read a couple of verses, then we'll come back to these uh, a little later. John 3, verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So, Jesus compared this incident of the lifting up of the brass serpent in the Old Testament to Himself and He put emphasis on believing in Him and receiving salvation or everlasting life as a result of our trust in Him. So it's important for us to see something first before we go to our next key scripture. If we'll turn back to Numbers, the 33rd chapter. Numbers 33. Verse 1, These are the journeys of the children of Israel, which went forth out of the land of Egypt with their armies under the hand of Moses and Aaron. And Moses wrote their goings out, that is the Exodus, the Hebrew word for goings out is Exodus. Exodus. That's where we get Exodus. According to their journeys, and the word journey means stages or station. Like we have in the Old West we used to have stagecoach that stopped at stage stations. Well, each arrival and departure was a stage or a station. And there were 42 of those during their wilderness journeys. And uh, Moses wrote their journeys out Uh, their goings out according to their journeys by the commandment of the Lord. And these are the journeys according to their goings out, according to their exodus. Now, I'm going to skip some things and go up to verse uh, 30. uh, Let's see here. Verse 37. Now, I've counted these a number of times over the years. So they removed from Kadesh, which was the 33rd stage stop from leaving Rameses in Egypt. They removed from Kadesh and pitched in Mount Hor in the edge of the land of Edom. And Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor According to the commandment of the Lord and died there in the fortieth year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the fifth month. We'll talk about this a little later. And Aaron was 123 years old when he died in Mount Hor. And the king Arad, the Canaanite, which, is, which dwelt in the south in the land of Canaan, heard of the comings of the children of Israel. And they departed from Mount Hor, verse 41, and pitched in Zalmona. And they departed from Zalmona and pitched in Punon, and they departed from Punon and pitched in Oboth. Okay. Uh, Zalmona, uh, uh, Zalmona was number thirty-five, Punon was number thirty-six, Oboth was number thirty-seven. So we want to remember this as we look at numbers twenty-one, and we'll back up a little bit here because there's some things that happened between some of those stage stops that are mentioned there in chapter uh, 21, verse 4 and 9. Well, if we'll just read right here in verse 22 and the, uh, of chapter 20. And the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, journeyed from Kadesh, which was the 33rd stop, and came unto Mount Hor, which was the 34th stop. Mount Hor is close to Petra. They're almost... Parallel side by side. You've got Israel up here. And then you've got the wilderness of Zen, which was Kadesh Barnea. And then to the east is in Jordan, right on the edge, just south of the Dead Sea. And the Gulf of Aqaba down here, I I didn't put a chart or a map. We just have to, most of you know these things. Petra here. And so Mount Hor is very close to Petra. So they journeyed from Kadesh Barnea over to Mount Hor. Uh... Now, verse four of chapter twenty-one. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea, to come past the land of Edom. Now they're in the land of Edom, which is south of the of the Dead Sea, what we would call the uh, today the northern northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, just south of Jordan there, and uh, joining Jordan because Petra's in Jordan there. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses, Wherefore have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the peoples. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make you a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass, that whosoever that is bitten, when when he looks upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he had or beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And then in verse 10, the children of Israel set forward and pitched in Oboth. Now, Oboth is the 37th stop. So, here we don't have mentioned the 35th and 36th stop, which is Zalmanah and uh, Punan. But we have Hor and we have Oboth. So, something happened, as we read earlier, back in... uh, a few chapters earlier of what happened in Zalmanah that we're reading right here in Exodus and I mean in Numbers thirty three you have each of those stage of station stops. But here in Numbers 21, a couple of them aren't mentioned, but a few things are happening here. Now, just in review what we've read, we've seen that Israel complained to God and Moses. Now they had just previous to this As they were in Kadesh, God had performed the second great miracle of, remember, smiting the rock. So they got water out of the rock because they were complaining they wanted water and God gave them water. So they had water and they had bread, the manna, manna, that they were eating for already 39 years. And they were getting tired of this light bread. Remember, they were complaining about it and they were getting tired of the bread that God was providing because they didn't have any leavening. They didn't have any... Uh, uh, wheat and flour to make bread, so they had manna for 39 years. Now they're getting tired of it and they're complaining to Moses. Now, I'm going to continue this, but I'm going to interrupt that just a little bit here for uh, some inset chapters that we want to look at, at just before this time a little bit. Go back to Numbers, the 20th chapter, and verse 1. Numbers 20, verse 1. Then came the children of Israel, even the whole congregation, into the desert of Zin in the first month. And the people abode in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. So in the 39th year, the first month, Miriam died there at Kadesh. Now, go to chapter 20, verse 28. Remember, Moses had taken Aaron up on to uh, the uh, Mount Hor, which is over by Petra. And Moses did as the Lord commanded, and they went up into Mount Hor in the sight of all the congregation. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments and put them upon Eleazar his son. And Aaron died there in the top of the mount. And Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. And when all the congregation saw that Aaron was dead, they mourned for Aaron 30 days, even all the children of Israel, now let 's go to numbers the thirty third chapter and verse thirty eight I read some of this earlier numbers thirty three thirty eight and Aaron the priest went up into Mount Hor at the commandment of the Lord and died there in the fortieth year after the children of Israel were come out of the land of Egypt in the first day of the first month of the fifth month, and Aaron was one hundred and twenty three years old. When he died in Mount Hor. Now, how would you like us to go up and die? <laughs> how do you obey God to do that? You just die? Lay down and die? Okay, here's what we want to remember Miriam died just at the beginning of the year. Aaron died in the fifth month. Now, Moses is going to die just a little bit later in that last year before they cross over into the promised land. So, Miriam and Aaron. And Moses now we know Moses was uh, according to uh, read that Deuteronomy 34 5 let's go there Deuteronomy 34 5 these are inset verses that I'm just wanted to share some things with us here so Moses servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord and he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor But no man knows of his sepulchre unto this day. And Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, nor his natural force abated. And they mourned for Moses 30 days. Now, Moses was 120. Aaron was 123. Miriam, how old was she? She was about maybe 130. Because remember, when Moses was born... She, as a a daughter, as as a a sister, told uh, the wife of the Pharaoh about Moses, and she took him and took care of him. So she was probably maybe 10 years old, 8 or 10 years old. She wasn't 2 or 3. She was old enough to talk and communicate and babysit and take care of Moses. So maybe she was, as the elder sister, maybe 8 or 10 years older than Moses and Aaron. Aaron was 123. He was 3 years older than Moses. Moses. So Miriam lived during that wilderness trek. She was almost 130 years old. Just think about that. How would you like to live 130? I would. I don't know if I'd want to, you know, be dependent at 130, but I wouldn't mind living a long time. How many of you would like to live a long time on this earth? Well, we know we're not going to. We're mortal human beings. So now let's go back to Numbers, the 21st chapter, because I want to look at a few things here. As we just examine this, a little closer, numbers 21 and this is uh, just a little bit before the incident with Balaam and Baal uh, uh, that hired Balaam to curse Israel and all of that. So that's, that's taking place a little later up here. but they journeyed from Mount Hor, verse four, "By the way of the Red Sea, to compass the land of Edom." Now." Israel was over south, uh, Israel, the the tribes of Israel. They were to the south of the Holy Land. And they had just defeated the Canaanites up to the south end of uh, Canaan. And so obviously they thought they were going to go directly up there. But they didn't. God took them east over toward Petra. And then they had to circle around a little bit to to get in, uh, go around the mountain area there and uh, then head north again uh, away from the Holy Land they're over in uh, what's Jordan and they're heading north now you can see the people they think oh no we're, we'll never get there we're going going off we're going northeast of where we want to be we want to go this way but God is taking them this way because he still has some refining to do in their life so The soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Now, down here on the Broken Arrow Expressway coming into Tulsa at, I think it's 145th. If you're coming into Tulsa and you get off there and you're going to or you're going up 145th, pardon me, and you're going to get on the Broken Arrow Expressway, which is going northwest, and you're going north. Boy, you start, it's, it's a long, big, long entry. You've got to go way out east and go way out, and then you come back around, and you curve, and you think, I'm going the wrong way. But they had to get around that curve to get on the highway to go on northwest the way, they, the way we want to go. And so you can think Israel is, they're going east, and they're going north, and they're, they're going out of the way, and so they're really discouraged. After 39 years, we, we're going the wrong way. And because of the way, and it's about a hundred miles there, uh, as I understand, of really rugged terrain. And if you get a map and look at it, you can see there north of Petra up toward uh, the Red Sea, up uh, toward the Dead Sea. It's a very rugged mountainous area. And the people spake against Moses. They said, there's no bread and there's no water. I'll show those this light bread. In verse 6, the Lord sent fiery serpents. Now, the word fiery is a a Hebrew word that means copper-colored or reddish-colored. Now, in the United States, we have uh, copperheads, and we have coral snakes. But over there, in that part of the country, they have uh, cobras, very venomous. And so the fiery was the burning, burning, the Hebrew word means burning or copper or fiery. So these snakes that bit the people gave them a fiery burning sensation. And uh, they died. A lot of the people died. Much people died. And the people came to Moses. Said, we've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord. Against you. Pray unto the Lord. This is the first time they've asked Moses to pray for them. Just think of that. That he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. But he didn't take the serpents away. The Lord said unto Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it upon a pole. It will come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looks upon it shall live. Moses made a serpent of brass, put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. If he didn't look at it, he died. If he was out and he dilly-dallied around, he didn't go look at that brass serpent upon the pole, he died. So he had to immediately look at that brass serpent and then he would live. Now, let's go back to John, the third chapter, where we opened up uh, with here Luke, John, the third chapter, and verse 14 and 15. Now, this is about in the first year of Jesus' ministry. And Moses. And as, notice, notice the as as a comparison, as, a, as an illustration. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So now, Jesus is liking this to the illustration of uh, what is happening and he is uh, speaking to uh, Nicodemus here about the kingdom of God and he's giving other instructions comparing this. But notice the snake that bit the people had poison. This brass serpent had no life in itself. It had no poison in itself. And hanging on that uh, pole, the people were not worshiping it, so God didn't tell them to create a, a, an idol. He just told them to make that brass serpent as a comparison, as an illustration, as an act. They were do. So Jesus said, as God told Moses to do this, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. Jesus was not saying, I look like a serpent, or I'm the same as that serpent, look to me as that. No. He was just just using this as the event, as the uh, illustration, representative of what was happening. Do we see that? You lift up the pole with the snake on it. That's the same that Jesus was saying that I'm going to be lifted up that whosoever looks on me will not perish. Now, when they saw it and when they prayed, and asked Moses to pray, when they confessed, they were free from the pain, and they were free from death. Jesus was not a serpent. The act recognized the cause of their death, and the poison that was in the snake that bit them, was eliminated by looking at the representative uh, brass serpent. So Jesus had no poison in himself. Now, you know, uh, we have what we call a, uh, anti-venom uh, virus where they take uh, rattlesnakes and snakes that are poison snakes gila monsters and other poisonous things and they milk them. You know, they take the fangs and they push the milk out of the fangs. Then they make anti-venom. So, when a person is snake bit, they give them snake bite poison, the antivenom, to counteract that as an antidote. So now just think of this Jesus had no sin in himself, did he? The brass serpent had no s- poison in itself. But when they looked at it, then God forgave them, He gave them life. He took away their death. He took away. The cause of them having to look at that snake was they were snake bit. The cause of us looking at Jesus on the cross is that sin. We're dead. We're death. We've been bitten by poison. So we have to look to Jesus to get the antidote. And so he had no poison within himself, but he became, as we'll see a little later here, he became sin. Now, in John, the 12th chapter. Verse 32, John twelve, thirty-two. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. Then in verse uh, 34, the people answered him, We've heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And you can go back into Samuel and Psalms and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Micah. You can go back to a number of scriptures and see where it was predicted and prophesied that there would come one who would die for them, the Messiah, Christ. We have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever and that he would, those scriptures say, that he would inherit the kingdom of God, that he would rule forever and... So you can, you can follow those references out. I didn't want to go back on those scriptures today. The Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Now notice, he just gives a kind of a vague answer here. He doesn't exactly, specifically answer their question. Because their question is, Who is the Son of Man? And uh, how is it that, he, that he's lifted up? Well, he already told them that. Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goes. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and he hid himself from them. And then in verse 44, Then Jesus cried a little later on. uh, He's preaching some more. He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. And he told us before, you know, he looks like the Father. So the Father and Jesus looked alike. So if you recognize Jesus, you would recognize the Father physically. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last days. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment that I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. And so notice He is putting the emphasis on believing on him. So when the person looked at that, they were bitten by the snake and they looked at that brass idol, they weren't worshiping it and praying to it. They were, in essence, that we know now, later, as they confessed and as they prayed and as they looked to the source of their death, they were healed. And so they had life then and so they had to believe. They had to believe that God was going to heal them and give them life. And uh, now... Matthew, uh, well, uh, let me see here a few notes. Uh, Jesus as a human being was lifted up. Each person must see the brass serpent or Jesus. We can't let someone else see it for us. Can't be delegated out. Sin was the cause of death. Their sin of complaining and griping. And they were snake-bitten. And so the cause of death, they had to look for the antidote, which was looking at the serpent. Just as we who have sin and death upon us, we look to the antidote, we look to the transference of that sin and death onto Jesus Christ who had no sin, but he takes our sin on himself and he dies for us. Now, uh, we know in the New Testament, I'm not going to go there, but Jesus' revealed you know in Revelation early chapters that he uh, his feet were like brass remember they were like copper colored just as that brass serpent was copper colored or uh, brass is made you know cause it's composed of copper and I think zinc or, or some of those uh, I'm not a metallurgist right now I don't remember the components of copper but I think you have to have for brass you have to have copper and maybe zinc and some other things mixed in to make brass. And then bronze is a little harder. You add some other elements to make it harder. John, the 12th chapter, uh, we've just uh, read that. Uh, Matthew 27. Matthew 27, 35. Oh, Brian, he's always fast. He can get there before I do. 35 and uh, 36. And they crucified him, parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. And in verse... Fifty four. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. And verse 55, and many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. And so when they looked at Jesus when they watched him when they saw him and then they recognized and confessed that he was something special that this was Jesus Christ as he was crucified and many other things that uh, entered into their understanding of who Jesus was the soldiers watched in the centurion and the women and then in Isaiah the 45th chapter Isaiah 45, 20. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you that are the escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Now, God condemns idolatry and a transference of worship onto stick or stone or a created idol. This is not what happened with the brass serpent. God was not having them worship. it; They were just to look on it as the cause of their death. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from ancient time? Who has told it from that time? Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself, the word is gone out of my mouth, in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every tongue shall bow, uh, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear. It's going to happen. Every single human being that has ever lived or will live is going to have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. They may not accept Him, they may not believe in Him as they go burning into the lake of fire in death for eternity but they're going to confess that He is Lord and that He is Savior. And so God is saying that all are going to look to Him at one time in Acts the fourth chapter. Acts 4 And um, verse twelve, Paul is saying that, talking about uh, Jesus of of Nazareth that was crucified, he raised from the dead. Um, The stone that was rejected by the builders. Verse twelve: Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is. None other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. No other religion, I've said this so many times over the years, no other religion, no other being, no other idol can give eternal life that can come only from Jesus Christ. The only one that can give us salvation. There's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Romans 8. uh, 3. Romans 8. For what the law could not do. I have to break into some thoughts here. In that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And chapter 5, verse 6, Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet per adventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. For God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were reconciled, or enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Now, we have... Christ on the stake, on the pole for six hours from nine o'clock in the morning to three o'clock in the afternoon. But he didn't come down off of that stake, he died. And so we believe and accept that his death was transferred from us to him, that he died for all of us, all of our sins, the cause of our sins, the poison. Was transferred to him. We believe that. Now he was taken down from the cross. And then three days later we know he resurrected. And so now we have a living savior. We're just not forgiven. Now we have Christ alive to save us. We're saved by his life. By the fact that he is living in us. And helping us to overcome and grow. Like we were hearing in the first message. That we are overcoming and growing daily. And touching these things now let's go back to 2nd Kings I just want to show something here to 2nd Kings the 18th chapter 2nd Kings 18 and verse 4 this is in about 726 BC 726 years After the serpent was lifted up on a pole, 726 years later, so that was in 1452, 726 from that, uh, you're coming to uh, 726 B.C., in the days of Hezekiah, it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Twenty-and-five years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned twenty-and-nine years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Not the prophet Zechariah, but a Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. Hezekiah was a very righteous king. He removed the high places. He broke the images. He cut down the groves. And he broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. Uh, Nehushtan means just a, uh, just a worthless piece of metal. Nehushtan. This was just a brass serpent. It was just a worthless piece of metal. It had no life in it. It had no ability in itself And yet Israel for 700 years had been worshiping it. And Hezekiah, as an obedient man, he said, I'm getting rid of that idol. It had become an idol to them. That's just a piece of metal, he said. Just a worthless piece of metal, a junk. I'm going to break it up and he got rid of it. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah nor any that were before him. So Hezekiah was a great king of Israel. Now in closing I have four brief scriptures in the New Testament that I want to uh, read before closing comments in Galatians, Galatians the third chapter and verse 13 Galatians 3 13 Christ has redeemed us From the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Now. Paul is not saying here that the law is a curse. But he is saying that the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? It's death. Death is if you break the law you're going to die that's the curse death not the law the law is righteous the law is holy the law is just the law is good God's law was good and wonderful it pointed out sin God gave the law to show us what is moral immoral ethical unethical legal illegal right wrong that's what the law the law points out to us then when we transgress the law we break the law, we're going to die. Every one of us have done that. And so, death has passed upon all of us. 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter. 2 Corinthians 5. And uh, verse 21. For he has made him to be, to be is in italics, but he has made him sin to be. In my King James, the translators say that the italics was added by the translators to try to, the printers of my National Bible, to try to clarify. If you've got the King James, you'll see to be is in italics. For he has made him sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I've gone over this in past years and hammered it home. And those of us who are converted Christians and are believers, we know all of this. We know what Christ means to us and that He became sin. We transferred in faith our sins onto Him. He bore our sins. 1 Peter 2.24 1 Peter 2.24 Who, I have to just break into these concepts that are we've looked at before. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body. On the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. And so... We should be dead to sin. We should be overcoming. We should be growing. We should be putting sin out of our life. But we still stumble and fall and we still sin. And so what do we do? We confess that. We put it on God. He takes it on us as a living high priest. He deals with that. And we have uh, forgiveness of sins. And so we rise from our prayer, pure and righteous before God. And he doesn't see us as sinners. He sees us as righteous sons of God. Because Jesus took all those sins for him and upon himself for us Isaiah 53 now Steve uh, had a sermon a while back and then he reads this on Passover night uh, as we consider but uh, Isaiah 53 very uh, important scriptures I'll just read uh, a couple here Isaiah 53 It's a wonderful chapter to uh, contemplate but um, Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And he goes on to explain more of what he's did. But I want to just drop down to verse 11. We, we're familiar with these verses in the uh, interim here between 6 and 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquity. So it's very clear and very established. And many, many other verses showing that Jesus Christ bore our sins for us. That we might have life. And we believe that, so we have eternal life. Now we've got to overcome. We've got to endure. We've got to hold fast. We've got to keep believing. If we don't believe to the end, if we stop believing... We don't have eternal life. We have death. He that believes shall be saved. So we must continue to stay dedicated, believing, in faith, trusting, obeying God, overcoming, growing, and uh, enduring until the end. If we do, we will be saved. Because Jesus Christ is our living high priest and our living Savior. Okay in review here just as we close. The brass serpent was not an idol to be worshipped. It was a representative thing directed by God to be made. A representative that they probably didn't fully understand the spiritual metaphor and analogy and similes and the representation that we do is we have the New Testament scriptures and we have Jesus Christ and we what he did for us and all of this as a comparison, as and so to more fully understand that. They only knew that if they got bit if they didn't look at that serpent, they died. If they looked at it and believed they confessed their sin and had Moses pray for them, they, and faith was entering into that, they had life. And uh, they survived that snake bite. A type of Christ looked to him for healing canceling of sin eternal life instead of death. Each one must look, believe for self. Not in another. Not for another. It was a personal act. This event related to the Exodus experience, all the things that we see, sin, death, repentance, faith, confession, life, healing, Jesus used that illustration to represent spiritual truth and to give us insight into that. In all things, it points us to Jesus and his redemption work.